0: in your Bible, please, to 1 Corinthians in the chapter 3. 1 Corinthians in the chapter 3. 3. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 9 this evening. And This is a passage that is a very, familiar, a very familiar passage to any Bible student, someone who studies the Word of God. It's a passage that is used to aid us in our understanding of What is taught regarding Christian behavior and how a child of God uh, should behave. In fact, the whole third chapter really is loaded with some very, very important things in regard to the Christian life and how you and I should live. Uh, You'll hopefully remember that, really, from chapter 1 and verse 18, uh, Paul has been dealing with the general topic of division in the church, and we're right at the heart of that topic now of division and Paul has dealt with many things uh, such as living holy lives, uh, living lives that are set apart. He's encouraged the Corinthians to live in fellowship and unity with each other and he has shown them the difference between God's wisdom and the world's wisdom which was partially causing that division. And now as the children of God, as we get to chapter 3, he's going to rebuke them And he's going to start telling them to live as mature Christians. I'm sure that some of you mothers here especially have been heard saying this phrase a time or two to your children or maybe even to your husband. And it's the phrase, would you just grow up? Would you just grow up? Well, really, in these verses this evening, that's exactly What Paul is saying to this church fellowship in Corinth, he's saying to them, would you just grow up? We're going to make that the title of our study this evening and let's read God's word together and we'll think in this study title, would you just grow up? 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and the verse 1. Of course, this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth and he says, and I, brethren, Could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal, and walk as men. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos,
1: are ye not
0: carnal? Who then is Paul? Or a better translation, even, is to say, What is Paul? He makes himself an item. He doesn't even humanize himself. Who then is Paul? Or who is Apollos? What is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believe, even as the Lord gave to every man, I have planted. Apollos watered but God gave the increase so then neither is he that planteth anything neither is he that watereth but God that giveth the increase now he that planteth and he that watereth are one and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor for we are laborers together with God ye are God's husbandry ye are Our God's building and we trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to each of our hearts this evening would you just grow up Paul is dealing with baby Christians here now a baby is a person a little person who is utterly dependent on another it's a, it's a it's a person, a baby is amused oftentimes by nonsense. You can give it a, a box of a toy and not the toy and it'll be more amused with playing with that box than it will playing with the toy. And a baby is a, a child that will, uh, sometimes you'll find that it'll put anything that's lying on the ground into their mouths and you have to keep an eye on the child or or else it will put many different horrible things into its mouth. And as that little baby gets older, it doesn't need to be too much older before you can see this child go into little tantrums when it doesn't get its own way. And then, you know, what happens is, as you look at that, We we can see uh, that when we think about illustration, that metaphor, you can place that directly into the text that we've seen. This is the analogy that Paul is giving of these Christians in Corinth. They're baby Christians. He's talking about Christians, and they're dependent on others who never learn anything spiritual by themselves. They're not spiritually independent, and they're not growing individually in the Lord. And they were often amused by the rubbish of the day that was around them in Corinth. They were amused by things that didn't matter. And they would put anything into their mouths, spiritually speaking, to feed themselves a nonsense rather than feeding on the word of God. Uh, And they were often within the church of Christ actually prone to tantrums and not getting along with one another in Corinth. That's what a baby's like, isn't it? If you can imagine what an adult should be like, well the Corinthian Christians, they weren't like that, they were still babies in their faith. Imagine the tragedy of an adult, a grown man or woman that behaves like a baby, a man who hasn't developed, a man who hasn't grown. And you know, why is it so hard at times as God's children to live as we should? Why are there times that We don't grow as we ought to. Well, I believe there's two reasons to to live for God. Firstly, you have to go against the grain of the world. You have to go against the grain of the world. You're you're finding yourself like a spiritual salmon and everyone else and everything else is floating downstream and swimming downstream and you're having to fight the current. You're having to go against the grain of the world and you're slamming against this wall of worldliness trying to break through and you're swimming the opposite way to the rest of the fish. The world is geared to go in a certain direction and you're going the opposite way so often and that makes it hard, doesn't it? That makes it difficult and that's the external pressure of living the Christian life. But secondly, there's an internal pressure as well. The second reason why it can be difficult to live the way we ought to as God's children is we're going against the grain of our flesh. Not only are we going against the world, but we're going against the grain of our flesh. I suppose you could call it our humanness. Paul put it this way in Romans 7, and I paraphrase here. He said, I love to do God's will so far as my new self is concerned. So what he's saying, I'm a new creature and I want to live for God. I I want to do the things that God would want me to do. But he says, there's something that is deep within me, in my flesh, and I'm at war with that. And my flesh is at war with my mind. And at times my flesh wins the fight, making me a slave to sin. That is still in me. And that's the internal battle. There's an external battle. The world is going in a different direction. We're swimming against the green of the world. But there's the sinful man that is still there. You see, men are born sinful. We know that. That's because they are born of sinful parents. And it goes back to Adam and Eve. Because we were born with the tendency to sin. Uh, sin has a dominion over us. Uh, and that creates a problem. Then, of course, salvation came, and we placed our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and God broke the back of evil in our lives, and he neutralizes sin, and he gives us the Spirit of God to subdue sin, but he doesn't remove the tendency to do evil. That's our human nature. And so with all those things that God does, we still, although we will eventually triumph through Christ, we continue to struggle on that path. To, to ultimate triumph, triumph that we will see one day in glory. So you see, Satan has two things that he works on in this life, in the Christian life, to rattle them. The world is the first, that's the external, and the flesh, that's the internal. And those two things make it very, very difficult. And that's why the Christian life isn't easy. And the Christian is to watch for these two things, watch the outside the world, and what's the inside? The flesh. Now the real issue with these Corinthians was this. They weren't going to war with either of those. They were just letting the world do its thing. And they were inviting the world into the church. And we'll see as we go throughout the book of Corinthians, this first letter, that they were also allowing the internal, the flesh, to win as well, over and over and over again. And really they were still on their basics. ABCs of the Christian life and they were on their ABCs of what it meant to know faith and truth and look at what Paul says in verse 1 here he says and I brethren that's very gracious of them because he's furious with them he calls them brethren they're his brothers and sisters in Christ still they're saved but he says and I brethren could not speak unto you as spiritual but as unto carnal even as unto babes in Christ. You're just babies. You haven't grown up. And what we see in this passage is we think of the division that was being caused is first of all we see the cause for their division here in the Corinthian church. They still weren't ready, the apostle said, to receive the need of the word of God. And I don't care what way you look at this. That is completely abnormal for the stage that they were at. Paul, when he planted the Corinthian church, it's between three to five years beforehand that these people were saved. And three to five years later, that's the approximate—that's approximately what the commentators, how long between this letter that was written and when this church was planted, these Christians, say three years ago, Paul says you should have grown a lot more by this stage. You're babies. You're not studying God's word. And it's, Paul, Paul was saying to them, you're immature. You're not where you should be. And it's just like the little child who's never matured. He's never grown up. But it's more than that. It's not something that's genetic or or forced on one another or voluntary. The believers were choosing not to grow. They were choosing not to take the meat of God's word, but to still feed in the milk. And that's abnormal. That's unnatural. This lack of spiritual development. So Paul, first of all, we remember in chapter 2, he distinguished between those who were saved And those who weren't. He talked about those who are in the natural world. Who are not saved. And those who are spiritual. But now he's distinguishing in chapter 3. Between two different types of Christians. In chapter 2 the spiritual man and the natural man. The natural man unconverted. And doesn't do spiritual things. The spiritual man is the man who has been regenerated by the spirit of God. Made alive in God. And made to be able to see the truths of God. And understand the gospel as the power and wisdom of God. And no longer is foolish. And the Corinthians should have seen this. Now this is important to distinguish. As we come to chapter 3. Paul says to them there. And I brethren could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. Now all Christians. All Christians are spiritual. Whether you're living mature as a mature Christian or whether you're living carnally. All Christians are spiritual. How do I know that? Well look at verse fifteen of chapter two, because this is Paul describing all Christians. He says, but he that is spiritual, judge of all things. And he says, We have the mind of Christ at the end of verse sixteen. So the, the term spiritual refers to a Christian. Not to any special type of Christian, not to a good one as opposed to a bad one, not to a mature one as opposed to an immature one. To say someone is spiritual in these passages, it simply means that they are a Christian. All Christians are spiritual as opposed to natural. And that's because we are controlled and we have surrendered our control to the Spirit of God. And that's true of every Christian. And that's our position. Our possession is spiritual. And now as Paul comes to chapter 3, he's not talking about the saved and the unsaved. He's talking about those who are not, not living as spiritual Christians as opposed to their living as carnal Christians. That word, that word there in verse 1 that says as unto spiritual, that word as is extremely important. Because what Paul is saying is, he's saying, in spite of the fact that you are possessionally spiritual, that you're saved, practically, you're not living spiritually. So I couldn't speak to you as if you are spiritual because you practically, you're living like people who are of the world. And in fact, he says, as I come to you, you're just carnal and you're babes. So he says, I can't speak to you. As spiritual people, I can't speak to you as saved people because you're not studying God's word. And Paul's saying, I wish you were spiritual so that I could feed you the meat of God's word. And Paul had led them to Christ. Here he is three years later, so disappointed in the development of this church. And he's calling them babies. They haven't grown up. You know, there's a challenge in this for us tonight when you you think about it. When you think of why the Lord Jesus Christ went to Calvary and shed his blood, he didn't just shed his blood to save us from the penalty of sin, but he shed his blood to save us and deliver us from the power of sin. And we're saved from the power of sin in our lives daily. And therefore, if Christ went to the cross, that we would live as spiritual people. We ought to be living for him each day and seeking to live for him each day. Not just be known as children of God, positioning but to be living it out in our daily lives, to be seeking to know him more, to have that closer walk with him each day, to be striving to get deeper and deeper into this book. You see, if we aren't interested in this book, if we aren't interested in delving in deeper and deeper, if we aren't going to pray with the hymn writer beyond the sacred page, I seek thee, Lord, Well, then we're just as bad as the Corinthian church. You see the Lord Jesus Christ, he died that we might have this sin hindrance removed from our lives, and by the Spirit's power have effective testimonies in a world that's gone wrong. And yet it's sad to find today Christians who have had no access or no no progress year after year after year. And the tragedy is, sometimes it's decade after decade after decade. And 40, maybe 50 years go without any progress whatsoever since the day that these Christians first believed. And there's your believers who are filled with amazement when they see a young man or a, or a young woman after a short time of being converted, going upward and outward and breaking out for God and doing things for the Lord. And many people, you see many Christians come and they go, wow, God's put their hand in them and God's doing something with them. Well, I want to tell you something. Just a few months ago, young Jay McKay stood in our pulpit and gave his testimony. I remember when Jay got saved, he was in P6. And from the day one, that wee boy had an interest in studying God's word. He wanted to know everything about it. Now, is it the sinful flesh put that in him? No. When he got saved, the spirit of God came to dwell with him. Jay didn't fight against what the spirit wanted him to do. He studied God's word. His wee Bible was multicolored in months. And he went and he bought himself commentaries and he was in the Bible shop all the time and he was studying and he was studying and he was studying. Is that something that you and I couldn't be doing? But then Jay, the Lord, put his hand on him, yes, and I can see God moving in a special way in Jay's life, but at the very beginning when I saw that wee boy, he loved God's word and he studied it. And he would put you and I to shame in how he studied it. I remember Jay uh, when he was 13 years old standing praying at the table in Arnhole. And I'll tell you, it was the most beautiful wee prayers. He thanked the Lord for dying on the cross for him. I remember him preaching for the first time at the table. And I remember it was so clear that he's a wee boy that loved God's word. Not all of us are called to preach, but we can all study God's word We can all seek that deeper relationship with the Lord. And we, Jay, is just one example of something that should naturally happen. Naturally happen when we trust the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. We should have a love for God's word. It's normal. It's natural for the child of God. And it should change when we're saved. It should change our perspective. And you know, the thing is, We see men and women break through for Christ after a few years in the faith and people think that's amazing. Why wouldn't that happen to me? We should all break through in the faith. We should all, the Lord has a work for each of us to do. There's a work for Jesus, none but you can do. You know, I must ask you today, since the day you got saved, have you grown up and are you off the milk of the word? Are you eating the meat of the word each day? Or are you still in your nappies? Have you grown in your Christian life as you look back over the years? Or have you grown stagnant? Maybe you did grow well at one stage. Now you're just back onto the milk again. Are you living today, may I put it another way, in a normal state of growth? In the sight of God. Paul is saying that we ought to have an insatiable passion to grow. And to not wait for another person to come and teach us. Listen, don't think that your presence here on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings. When the teaching happens to God's people in this fellowship. Don't think that that will cause spiritual growth. It's right to be here and I'm so glad that you're here and it is a spiritual thing to do and it will aid your spiritual growth don't get me wrong but let me ask you don't don't, don't pin all the teaching that you get in this place as something that will cause you to spiritually grow do you study God's word for yourself are you spending time with God by yourself because you see the times that we spend here it's only a couple of hours a week do you seek to study God's word do you love God's word do you Because in order to get to know the Lord better, in order to live for him, you need to grow in a deeper knowledge of him. And to grow in a deeper knowledge of him will mean that you need to spend time in his Word Individually, on your own, in the quiet place, in the closet. And if you aren't doing that, you're just like the Corinthian Christians. I'm glad you're here tonight. But don't just depend on the teaching you get here for your spiritual growth. Because if you're living that way, you're living in a spiritual famine. Look at verse 2. Paul says this, I have fed you with milk and not meat. Why? Because you couldn't bear it. They were unable to absorb spiritual, real spiritual teaching and truth. And we can see that at large in our nation today where the word of God and some of the so-called churches in our nation is left to the end of, uh, of song after song after song of nonsense that's repeated and then a wee epilogue status is given to God's word. It's put at the end of meetings, it's shoved out of the way and there's as little as possible in some churches. And now there's some Christians can sit and watch a three and a half hour long film, an epic, and sit before it and take it all in and follow the plot. But if the preacher goes on for 50 minutes, well, they can't cope with it. And the preacher went on tonight, even an hour under God's word, and they couldn't even think about it. There's a famine in God's word in our land. There's a famine in doctrine, and doctrine is diluted. And it seems to be unimportant to many people in these days. Do you know, that was the cause of division in the Corinthian church. That was the reason for their lack of growth. They were feeding off milk and they were just, there was no real interest in God's word the way there should have been. But I want you to see also the symptoms of their division, the symptoms of their division. Look at verse three. It says here in verse three, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying, and strife, and divisions, are ye not carnal, and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? He talks about envying among them, and strife, and divisions, and Jealousy is another translation of that. There was jealousy among the fellowship and there was strife among the fellowship caused by their, their spirituality as babies. And they were just always fighting and causing divisions with one another. And he mentioned this as a cause of their division in Corinth. He speaks of Paul and Apollos and Cephas, which is the second time that this has been mentioned. How they were splitting into little sections and I'm of Apollos and I'm of Cephas and I'm of Paul and these are the ones that we look to and these are the ones and it was almost like they were worshipping the one who had led them to Christ or worshipped the one who was their favourite teacher and it was causing strife among them. And this will be mentioned again as we go throughout the book. It's mentioned again in chapter 3, verse 22. And it's also mentioned in chapter 4, verse 6. These names and the divisions that were caused by these names. Now carnality doesn't cause this particular symptom of division that was happening here. The type of division, the strife and the jealousy. You know, what Paul says, you're carnal because there's envy and strife. But carnality, it it can cause other things. Uh, carnality just, it can cause many diseases, I suppose you could call it. For example, uh, the flesh in Galatians 5 attacks all kinds of areas. It attacks you in your morality. It attacks you in your relationship to other people. Factions, seditions, heresies, envying, all that. It'll attack your behavior. Uh, in, in Galatians 5, it speaks of drunkenness and wild parties. It'll, ta- this, This division can cause, and this this carnality can cause all sorts of sin to come into the camp when we're not living as spiritual giants and growing in the faith and feeding on the meat of God's word. And really what it does is it, it manifests itself in attacking our lifestyles and drawing us away from the Lord when we're not seeking to have that close walk with him. What I'll say is this. Wherever there's division in a church, no matter what it's caused by, in this church it was envy and strife, it was jealousy. When there's division in a church of any type, it's it's a manifestation of carnality. People who aren't seeking to live for the Lord. People who aren't seeking to walk close with the Lord. And you know there there were these little groups forming and they start this and they're gathering around people and They're polarizing one person. Then there's another group was getting around another person. And they weren't involved in what the Lord wanted. The Lord, he wants unity. The Lord wants us to be as one. And the very moment that we start gathering together and speaking about another person in the fellowship and speaking wrong with them and speaking in groups and doing these things, that's when the devil gets in ruins the unity. And it's a sure sign that there's carnal Christians in the camp. Verse 4. One of you saying, I'm a Paul. Another saying, I'm an apollosis group. And Paul says, aren't you carnal? You're operating in the flesh. That's not what a godly person would be doing. Division can only happen when this happens. Carnal, immature people who split over personalities. And it's hero worship. I want to say something and I know I need to be careful of this too. So often we can look around our world and we can see these preachers who God has particularly gifted and I praise God for those preachers. But we can very often start worshipping them, then worshipping the God who they're trying to point us to. I witnessed when I was away at Shepherd's Conference and I've told you all the good bits, this is a bad bit that I saw. I witnessed grown men who were pastors, elders, and churches sprinting down aisles to get to the front seat to sit under John MacArthur. It was a disgrace. It it was it was pathetic to watch. As soon as the doors were opened to see these men sprinting down. So often we can look to and I know many of us have preachers that we enjoy, preachers that we enjoy to listen to in the home, but Never, never put them on a pedestal and gather around them and say, I'm of MacArthur or I'm of so-and-so. Never put yourself on that pedestal because do you know what? Paul, Apollos, Cephas, all these men, Peter in the Bible, all these preachers, they were all saved by the same God. And all given their gifting by the same God. And they didn't want to elevate themselves. All they wanted to do was point to Christ. So let me say something to you, no matter who you enjoy listening to. By the way, there's no harm in enjoying someone's preaching. I hope you enjoy mine. But the point of the matter is, make sure it's God who that preacher is pointing you to. And not that you're worshipping them. That's what these people were doing. They were worshipping the preachers they were listening to. They were gathering around them. And it was such a babyish, immature thing. And Paul, as he looks at them and he says to them, would you just grow up? The way you're getting on is foolish. And it's causing envy and strife and division. And it's not helping the fellowship. And it's not going to grow in this way. You need unity. The cause for their division was was, was the lack of growth, feeding off milk and not meat. They weren't interested in God's word. They weren't studying it the way they ought to, the symptoms of their division. Well, there was envy and strife, and they were following different preachers. But what was the cure to their division? What was the cure to their division? The antidote for the the disease of division. Well, it's a simple statement. We need to recognize that we all glorify one God, right? Get your eyes back on God, says Paul. The human instrument is irrelevant. In verse 7, Paul says this. So then, we'll look at verse 6 to get the context of this. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Verse 7. So then, Neither is he that planteth anything. Apollos isn't anything. Neither, or, or Paul isn't anything who planted. Neither is he that watereth. Apollos, Apollos isn't anything. But it's God that giveth the increase. Notice how he mentions it twice. End of verse, verse 6. God gives the increase. Verse 7. God, it is God that giveth the increase. And he says in verse, verse 8. Now he that planteth. And he that watereth listening are one. Are one. We are all serving the same God. And they're working together. And they're not opposed to one another. Now the church in Corinth may have thought they were opposed to one another. As they gathered round one and the other but Paul and Apollos had nothing against each other. They served the Lord together. And look at verse 9. For we, he say, speaking of Apollos, we are laborers together with God. We work together with God. You know, uh, on our wedding day, this is the verse that I put in the card that I gave to Lucy um, before we met each other down the aisle because I knew for me and Lucy what I wanted for our marriage was that we would be workers together with God and that is not just something that Lucy and I should have agreed in our marriage that we want to do but it's something that we as a church fellowship should want to do to be workers together with God not one of us is more than the other not one of us Uh, does something that should elevate the other a pastor is just the same as everybody else and from the musician who plays to the person who stacks the chairs away to the person who cleans the toilet to the person who helps in the kitchen when we're having a church supper to the least job to whatever you think is least in this church fellowship that you do we all do it together for God you know I heard a story of a little lady and you know, isn't it so sad that so often it's when you look at Christian magazines, if they're a great pastor that has a church over 500 people, there'll be a big lovely page with their photo on it and tell all about them. And I heard a story about a wee lady. I don't know her name. And uh, she, she went to Charlotte Chapel in Edinburgh. And there was a ladies' meeting that would have met every, maybe, Tuesday. And... 300 ladies would have gathered together. And this wee lady, every single week, when she was asked, well, what do you do in this church fellowship? Well, she says, well, I attend the prayer meetings, and I support the meetings on Sunday. She says, but every Tuesday I put 300 cups and saucers out for the ladies who are coming together to have fellowship. Faithfully, she did it. Now, as the story, as I listened to it, uh, this lady's now in glory. But you know what? This lady, end of verse 8, has received her reward according to the labour that she did. She served the Lord with her whole heart. How did she serve the Lord with her whole heart? She served those ladies every Tuesday morning put 300 cups and saucers out. You listen to me. There is no one, no one in this church fellowship greater than the other. We're workers together with the Lord. And it's my prayer that this would be our mantra going forward, that this would be our theme, that as each of us work in this fellowship for the Lord, that yes, there's the greater plan that we all are labourers together. But let me tell you, no matter what you do, see if you're doing it with a whole heart to serve God in this fellowship, you will receive the word for your the award for your labor. That's what these verses teach. And Paul says to the Corinthian church, you know, you need to grow up. You need to start eating the meat of the word. Stop gathering round people because there's no one better than the other. We're all spiritual. We're all saved. But Paul says to them, you need to start growing up. Start feeding on the Word. Now you have a decision to make tonight. You've got to decide what category you're in. Are you a spiritual person? Or are you a carnal person? If you're a carnal believer, there's something that you can do about that. Because you can bring that old carnality to the foot of the cross. And you can ask God to remove these things that have hindered you from growing as a believer. And have been stunting your spiritual growth for maybe a long time. And God will help you when you come to him and you ask him. And by the way, there are times that all of us slip into carnal living. There are times that even I think I may be growing a little. But there's other times when I know that I have to look at my heart and say, Lord, you need to forgive me because I haven't been living for you as I ought to. There's times that I have to go to the Lord and ask Him to forgive me for my carnality, and my babyish ways. And I reminded, so far as I read through scriptures, I stand to be corrected that even Paul, he said that he is carnal and sold under sin at times, and Paul had to go to the Lord and Paul had to plead forgiveness. And dear brothers and sisters tonight, if we have carnality in our hearts. We ought to take it to the cross and ask God to judge it and ask God to deal with it. Two minutes and I'm done. How do you come from being a carnal Christian to a spiritual Christian? Well, what's the problem? The problem's the flesh. What can we do with the flesh? Well, Christians struggle with the flesh, don't we? Each of us do. We battle with it each day. How do we beat our flesh? How do we conquer our flesh? How do we tame our flesh, that sinful flesh? What can you do with it? Well, You see, the flesh, even the blood of Christ, can't cleanse the flesh. Do you know what the only answer to the flesh is? Crucifixion. And where is the flesh crucified? It's crucified at Calvary. Crucify the flesh and the lust thereof. It's irredeemable. You can't make it better. Don't pray for God to make you better. Pray for God to make you dead. Dead to that old nature in Christ and crucified with Christ that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. It's no wonder that Paul said, I am determined to know nothing among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because it's the answer to everything. You go to the Lord. You say to him, I want to give my old self to you. I'm fed up fighting with my flesh say I am crucified with Christ. Maybe each of us tonight, preacher included, need to hear the rebuke of God's word, need to listen to Paul's words to the Corinthians, would you just grow up. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you this evening and how we realise that there are many times that we slip into carnal habits, when we don't live as we ought, when the old devil uh, uses the flesh in the world to distract us and to stunt our spiritual growth. And Father, there are times we confess that we have to go back to the milk of the word because, Father, there are times that we walk so far from you. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But, Father, we thank you that we can return to the cross of Calvary. And, Father, we can sacrifice ourselves as we ask you, O God, and as we give ourselves to you, that, Father, we remember those words of pause He tells us to be a living sacrifice. And Father, we pray that we would be those who would come before you and daily be that living sacrifice, that we would daily come to you and place our lives in your hand and that, Father, every moment we would be constantly seeking your face to help us live live for you because, Father, we need thee every hour,
1: every (coughs) moment
0: and every minute and every second. For, Father, when we turn our eye off you, We just sink as Peter did when he took his eyes off the Lord. Father, we pray that if there's any carnality here in this fellowship, that Father you would do dealing with that. And Father, we pray that indeed we would be laborers together for the Lord, that Father we would be those who are seeking to live in unity with one another, that we wouldn't be marked with divisions. But, Father, indeed, that Christ would keep us as one. We thank you that we serve one great God. We thank you, Father, that as we come to you tonight, that we're all under the blood and we all belong to Christ. Father, help us to serve thee as we ought. We thank you that there's a work that you have for each of us to do. And, Father, we pray that you would help each of us to do it to the best of our ability. Oh, Father, we look forward to that day when we stand in glory. And, Father, all the trials and struggles of this life, and all the labours that we must do, O oh, Father, it'll be worth it when we see Jesus. Father, we pray that we would know your help just now in your presence as we come to prayer. And we ask this all in the precious name of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.